Do you guys know the favorite podcast episode of a teenage boy? It's episode 69. Welcome to episode 69 of the Utah Royals FC show. Welcome to episode 69. Nice. Nice. We are mature here. (laughs) Uh, So we have a podcast. We have stuff to talk about. Sorry about the technical issues last week, but we are here now. We're good to go. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk about some news. We're going to talk about the last couple games, and uh, we're going to preview Chicago and answer some of your questions, not necessarily in that order. All right. Uh, with me, I've got RJ and Megan. Megan's back. Hi, Megan. Hello. Finally, I decided to make them do the podcast a day early so that I could be on because it's been too long. Tell us about your summer, all these adventures you've gone on. It has been a busy one. We went to Chicago for some Real Salt Lake, which caused me to miss some games. We worked too much. And then I was in Portland last week, was supposed to work tomorrow. That's why we did it tonight, so I could be on. But it's been a busy few weeks. Oh, and I was in Colorado also on a Monday for an Arsenal friendly, which I still don't know why I went to, but... It's been a very soccer-filled summer that's very busy and caused me to miss a lot of Monday nights, apparently. so. Was it marijuana-filled as well? I went with my two best friends, and they're both good souls, and I'm underage. So, no. <laughs> no marijuana was had. I can't wait until Megan is 18, and I can fly to Salt Lake City and expose her to all of the things that she has been denied uh, since she was underage i i can't wait to actually i can't wait till you're 21 and we can do the uh urfc show uh trip to las vegas and we can really show you all of the things uh <laughs> that you have not seen in your wee little life well my wee little life in the state of utah even more so so <laughs> when you turn 21 i'm flying out i'll, I'll, okay. I'll put that on the books now you know, St. George is not that far from Vegas, and that's where I'm going to be going to school for the next four years, so why not? It's like an hour to Vegas from where I'll be living for the next four years, so. Oh, road trip, my friend, road trip. Yep. That's the game plan. Anyway, that's our first tangent of the day. Woo! <laughs> up on my life. It's a good tangent. It's been a needed tangent. Um. Okay, so news... The, obviously, World Cup winners came home. Um, Mayor Jackie Biskupski gave Sarbron O'Hara and Press keys to Salt Lake City. That's pretty cool. Um, My buddy Nick Osterhout brought Kelly O'Hara a beer at the airport. That was a fun interaction. Gabby Vincent has been given a full contract. Melissa Lauder and Raisa Strom Okamoto have been given supplemental roster spots. Are you going to slow down so we can re- can we can talk about any of those things, Virjo? Goodness. Yeah, he's just rushing through the news today. I'm, I just figured we have so much to talk about because we missed last week. Okay, all right. I will shut up and let y'all talk about whatever you'd want to talk about those three items. I have, like, I have feelings about the U.S. Women's National Team partying that I feel like I have not been able to properly express in the last two weeks. Like, here's the thing. The U.S. Women's National Team for a very long time, and I'm old enough, I'm the oldest of the three of us on here right now. I'm the old lady of the podcast at the moment. Um, 
for a long time, they were the girls next door, right? Like, they were the very clean cut. You had Mia Hamm. You had Julie Foudy, Brandy Chastain showed her sports bra. And it was the biggest, like, deal. Like, now players are walking around on the field in just their sports bras and nobody thinks twice about it, right? Like, you have the body issue now. Um, so times have changed. And I think it was really cool that we got to see sort of that connection. We got to see the players party and have fun and it not be the, oh, my God, think of the children at all times. I think that was really cool. And I think, like, Kelly O'Hara bring, brought a beer and it not being, like, this scandal that, like, players are being, like, promoting to drink and stuff like that. I think that was really cool to actually see, like, the adult side of the fan base get to come out for the national team and for, for Salt Lake. Um, I think that's a cool thing. And I think that's something that the team and the league can sort of tap into and can build a, a strong fan base out of. I think that's a really, really valid point, especially coming with the NWSL's sponsorship right around that time. Like it really, it was a big step for the league to stop pushing the narrative of these athletes are role models and only role models. These, these athletes are still the best, ath- the f- best women's soccer players in the world. That At the end of the day, that's what it is. And we should be treating them like they are the best athletes in the world, not like they're role models, not like they need to impress all the 15-year-old girls that look up to them. Like, yes, that's important, and I'm not sitting here saying they should, you know, be saying whatever they want, doing whatever they want, if it's off the off the realm of respectful. But I don't think Kelly O'Hara having a beer should be any big deal, coming from one of the 17-year-old girls they all say were supposed to be impressing. Now, Megan, let me ask you, let me conduct a scientific uh, experiment on this podcast. Oh, very science. Are you more likely to drink now that you saw Kelly O'Hara grabbing a beer from a fan and chugging on a float in New York City than you were before you saw such atrocities? No, not at all. (laughs) There we go. The science has come in. We've conducted a survey with 100% uh, non-problem rate. Case closed. I would be no more likely if it had been a bottle of Coke than if it had been straight vodka, honestly. Like, whatever she wants to do, she just won the World Cup. In my eyes, she can do whatever she wants. But chugging Coke is more dangerous because of the carbonation. Like, Yeah, that's actually kind of painful, but, you know. (laughs) Oh, I thought we were talking about, like, different kind of Coke. The drug? You don't (laughs) chug cocaine, Virjo. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's nope that's not what we were talking about but <laughs> yep yep yep. and uh to all the people uh listening we hope you're grateful for this content bitch <laughs> <laughs> that is the best ashlyn harris impersonation i have ever heard yeah honestly okay we're off to a good start today guys i feel like this is our truest form coming out right now yeah it is this is all the angst of uh you know, maybe we just need to podcast on Sundays more often. Maybe. Maybe it's the mild uh, jet lag and Sunday afternoon soccer watching that we're all just out of it. I'm living my best life right now. That's all I'm going to say. I have I have been up since 5 a.m. Portland time, so I'm really tired. That is only an hour off Salt Lake time, ma'am. You did not fly from the East Coast to the West Coast. Yes, but you also have to remember, I went to a Timbers game last night, and that in and of itself would have me out for a week, <laughs> and then flying home at 6am was just not, not fun. Hey guys, all. did you know that there's an attendance bump that has happened in this league? 
good, good promo for this Portland Thorns um, second biggest attendance at a game, I believe. 22,000. Yeah, and then there was that the where there was one with 23 in Orlando. Yes, RJ, am I yeah, right on that? It was their, but other than that, that's the yeah, it was their attendance. season opener or their first game ever. I don't exactly remember. I just know it was their first game of a season. I believe it was their first season. Yeah, it was it was their first game ever. That Portland Thorns game I was lucky enough to be at and that was one of the most incredible experiences I think I've ever had at a soccer game that fan base is absolutely insane and I know this is the Utah Royals FC show and I'm going to get slack for that I already have from the writers you don't need to make it worse listeners um but Portland was crazy that night and there there's something to be said about the way they rallied around their team even more so than they have before I'd like to just put for the record I defended Megan and her comments that's true, but everybody else was was being a little shady, but it was it was warranted, so it's okay. I have no comment. <laughs> I didn't buy the Haran shirt I was going to buy, so we're good. Good, good. Um, yeah, Washington Spirit and Sky Blue sold out. That is huge for the league. I don't know if it will stay that way, but that's exciting. I am a little disappointed in Utah for the game against North Carolina, only getting about 10,000 people. I was, I thought it'd be higher. I was expecting 12 or 13, maybe after the, I believe almost 16,000 we got the other night, but 10,000 is still good. It's not as good as I'd hoped for though. Nothing to sneeze at. I'm not saying that, but it's North Carolina. Like this is a team with a lot of like firepower a lot of star power a lot of national teamers like i was i was really hoping they could hit at least 13 i love how you say it's nothing to sneeze at when the north carolina courage logo literally looks like uh like animal sneezing we need a tangent counter on this here podcast like i'm gonna put a ding every time we go on a tangent i'm gonna put a ding in so the royals reserves lost in uh extra time of the final of the wpsl uh, championship that is sad and they were almost ready to go to pks yeah that game was wild that was a crazy one gave up a goal in the 118th minute what a performance, though, from uh, Coach LaPelbet and team. Well, yeah, and what just what an inaugural season to have, too, to go that far. Like, I'm sure all of the players wanted that trophy, but they did Utah proud, and they, they put everything they had into that game. It was the comeback after comeback after comeback, and if they had had five more minutes, they probably would have had another comeback at the end of that game. So, Yeah, it was a good one, that is for sure. All right. Um, I guess we should talk about the Portland Thorns game. The Portland Thorns game is sort of one side of the coin for Utah, and the North Carolina, I think, is the opposite side of that same coin. Yeah, that's a good a good way to go about it. Um, Christine Sinclair's goal, oh, so she opened up the scoring in the ninth minute, absolutely ridiculous. When Christine Sinclair breaks the international scoring record, do you think Celine Dion is just going to descend from the heavens and like make her the queen of Canada? Yes. I think that's the only valid option to happen after that okay. goal comes. Like anything else would be a disservice to uh, Canada. So I would be sorely disappointed in the yeah. universe. Yeah, it was a wild goal. Um, Kristen Press had an equally impressive goal, goal of the week. 
um, in the forty third no minute off of <laughs> off of um, an assist from Gunny nutmeg through the leg went in boom hammered at home it was gorgeous it was gorgeous it was it was a beauty of a goal I was lucky enough to be on that end of Rio Tinto and that when she hit that goal and it was I still I watch it and I still don't know how she got it in AD French took half a step away from goal at the exact wrong moment she was there she would have hit off of her leg most of the way to goal she shifted a little bit to try to get I think a better read on where the ball was going and it slipped in like it was you talk about threading the needle press threaded that needle exactly it was incredible I had to go frame by frame on it to figure that out by the way (laughs) I can just picture RJ in her podcasting lair with her laptop just scrolling individual frames to try and figure out what went wrong or I guess what went right because we're Utah fans here but <laughs> I actually did it on the iMac so I had the the giant screen ah this is a 2009 iMac I'd like to say that for the record <laughs> um Becky Sauerbrunn own goal in the 87th minute that was weird and uh Rachel Corsi assisted by Kelly O'Hara in the 90th minute so an immediate response, and that goal from Corsi was great. If Utah played every game like they played the last 10 minutes of that Portland game, we would be undefeated. For real. It was great. My very favorite thing about Rachel Corsi scoring is like her getting up and Gunny chasing her, trying to like give her a hug, and Corsi being like, no, I got to slide. Sorry, can't, can't hug you right now. Like, this is my one moment. <laughs> Don't take this away from me. <laughs> I think we can all relate to Rachel Corsi in that moment. So. Yeah. And so to think, I get it's an own goal, but to have two cent- two of your center backs score a goal within three minutes of each other, like even if it's an own goal, that's kind of like fun, right? I'm not sure I would call the Becky Zarabin own goal fun, but you do you, Virjo. Yeah. That's one way they could talk about it. Fun is a bad word. Like interesting, right? Like you would not. To think of a center back pairing to score back-to-back goals it's just weird it's different like i'm bummed but it's odd it's an oddity um so this game i 13 shots seven on target for utah compared to five shots with two on target for portland uh utah on the stat line really kind of dominated this or so it seems 18 tackles one portland just had four I think having the players back helped a ton. Vero coming on was incredible. She's so, so, so good. Um, Laddish had to leave a little bit early because of a The ball kicked straight at her head. Oh, yeah. That's Oof. not fun. That's not fun. She was off the field when Christine Sinclair scored her goal, too. So Utah was playing with 10 when Kelly O'Hara mm-hmm. couldn't remember how to clear a ball. Yeah. Yeah, there was, you know, on the notion of that is that the defense really looked like a bunch of players who hadn't played together in a long time. Yeah, that's what's interesting to me is the one thing that Utah had during the World Cup break was a defense that like was showing up. And I don't know if that's because everybody else's attack was a little bit weaker, but even when they were playing against better attacks, they seemed to lock it down a lot better than how Bowen, Sauerbrunn, Corsi, and O'Hara have. And I don't know if that's, you know, O'Hara got a lot of miles on her leg during the World Cup. So did Becky Sauerbrunn. Um, Rachel Corsi just doesn't have the decision-making right now that she has. Bowen, I think, has been more or less fine. 
But I sort of wonder if Harvey rushed them back into the lineup too soon, which is, I mean, we were all clamoring for them to get back in the lineup, but it seems like especially Corsi and O'Hara just have not looked the way that I would like them to look. Like, I think O'Hara has been frustrated. She seems not to be getting the ball when she wants it. She seems not to have the options that she's looking for. Um, she was less frustrated, I think, yesterday, even though she was open a ton and just not getting the ball. Um, the offense was going through the other side. It just It's frustrating to watch players who are really good and who had a pretty nice connection the first couple of games just look utterly disconnected from each other. Yeah, it's, it's really concerning, that's for sure. It's weird to see Utah go from the team that you could count on their defense being solid and their attackers struggling a little bit to the complete opposite. Yeah. I mean, I still wouldn't say that our attackers are great. Um, no, but they at least are scoring regularly-ish, yeah, yeah. which is better than we can say for some parts of the history. Yeah, so. that's fair. I mean, Pr- Kristen Press has looked really good. Like, she hasn't... Kristen hasn't missed a beat. Right. She hasn't had a full 90 where she's lights out the entire game, but she's been consistently a pain in the butt for the other teams. And that's really all you can expect a forward to be. She's scored in every game she's played in since the World Cup, which is two, but still. Um, she looks good out there. She looks like she's getting the service that she's asking for. She and Vera, when they're on the field together, have really good chemistry and have the ability to help each other out. Uh, Amy and she have been working pretty nicely off of each other. The When they're close enough, they haven't really been on the same side of the field mm-hmm. yet. Uh, Press has been more on the wing than in the center forward position. So the attack does look in some ways better, but it feels like they're missing a couple of pieces that were different pieces than they were missing before. Like they're still missing like two pieces. We're just shifting which pieces they're missing. Yeah. For me, it, I don't feel like the attack has improved. I feel like Kristen presses here, and that makes everyone look better. Um, That's a valid point. But Kristen Press is their attack. Like Laura yeah. Harvey has this team set up for Kristen Press to be who scores the goals. Like oh, yes. Amy Rodriguez obviously is going to score, but Laura Harvey's attack plan is. Kristen Press is Kristen Press. We're going to let her be Kristen Press. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But even when Kristen Press is not there, I mean, it just doesn't look dangerous for me. And Kristen Press does that. Can we just talk about how unlucky Katie Stengel has been this year for a sec? The girl is try- has had so many good looks, especially in that Portland game that, that French was just not letting her have. I was like, especially towards the end, that last 10 minutes that we were talking about before, Katie was trying so hard to get that winning goal and she just cannot seem to find the back of the net this year. She, I think she's been a lot better the last three games or so, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make up for what's earlier in the year, but I, I yeah, I can agree with that. I, I don't know how to pinpoint it. Because, I don't know, she, this is the, this is going to sort of cross a couple things in. So the next comment, the next thing we were going to talk about is that there are too many midfielders who are the, who slash, I guess you could say wingers, who are the same type of player. Like if you take Taylor Lytle, maybe this is a talk, hot take. If you take Taylor Lytle 
Erica Timrak, Mallory Weber. Um, there's not like a whole, or, and I guess maybe even Lola Ponta, if you're playing her there, there's not, I feel like all those players are sort of from the same mold. The problem is not the wide players. Like, that's really not fundamentally the problem with Utah. The problem with Utah is the center of the pitch. The problem is, if you look at Mandy Laddish, you look at Gunny, you look at, you know, anybody that Laura Harvey's going to put there, they're basically the same type of player. Like, they're all defensive-minded except for Vero. They're players who are good but who for some reason are not finding the next gear this year there there are just too many players like that they need yes i understand this she's not playing anymore but they need to find a lauren holiday they need to find a kim little they need to find a samuels they need to find somebody who is that center mid who can control things you got vero but an attacking mid is not what they need they need a center mid that can be behind Vero and be creative and hold up things. They need like Lindsay Horan. Like that's what they need. They don't need Gunny and Laddish and putting them on the field together just makes everything redundant. Like I get what Laura Harvey is trying to do, but Gunny is not just Fishlock and she's trying to make her play like just Fishlock did when Seattle was at their best, when she was coaching them. I think this is a failing on Harvey's part to try she's trying to recreate something Laura Harvey is trying to recreate something that worked really really well with a specific set of players but I don't think she has the personnel to recreate it in Utah the way she had it in Seattle I agree with that I agree with that um also at at this point you I think you start Laddish and Desiree Scott together and not Gunny or you get rid of one of the defensive midfielders and push someone else a little bit higher. I think she should, I think she should go to a true four, three, three play Vero Laddish. If she's healthy, Desiree Scott play press play a rod, somebody on the wing, somebody in the center and like, go for it. Put O'Hara up. I don't care. Like they need, they need to do something like I, I think O'Hara probably is better served for them on that three and a half back. But if you're not going to give her the ball as an outside back, she's got to be more involved. Like Kelly O'Hara is somebody who makes that attack mm-hmm. run. And she got the ball pitifully little in important places last game. Could, could not have said it, said it any better. Hey guys, did you know that Utah played the North Carolina courage? I did not. I had no idea. That's wild. No way. Did you know they lost because they decided that Kristen Press scored a goal, so they were done for the night? That I did know. Yeah, and that was not good. I thought that like the last 15-20 minutes was better than the middle chunk of the sandwich, but it was... I don't know what it is, but it seems like once we score the goal, it's like we treat every game as if it's a golden goal get out score and then just quit see that's one thing i've noticed in writing match recaps this year because last year i didn't do them until about halfway through the year and i feel like every week i'm writing utah came out and started really strong and then x happened whether it's an injury whether it's a goal getting scored whether they score and then they stopped 
And if you look back, like I was reading through some of the old ones and I was like, wow, I've said the same thing every week. And that game was the exact same way. We came out and we're doing good in the first, you know, 10 minutes, Kristen scores. And then what happened? Nothing until the last 10 minutes. And that's not what a team should be doing we should be playing and like whatever stop when you're up you know three to zero or two to zero chill out a little bit but when you're only up one to zero why are we stopping every single week and it like looking at the game like I'm not there you guys are so tell me if I'm wrong but it doesn't look like Laura Harvey is trying to get them to stop like she looks on the sideline when the camera comes to her like you know push up go like she's yelling at them to keep playing so I don't even think like it's a coaching or a tactics thing of like you know not pushing so high or not pressing such a high line like it feels like she's urging them to go and for whatever reason they're deciding not to and it is incredibly bizarre you never see Laura Harvey on the sideline quiet she's always screaming something she's always pushing her team she's she's very much the vocal leader and you like maybe that's why maybe they're just like be quiet Laura I don't know I've seen that same thing. They'll be leisurely passing it around the back and Laura's over there swinging her arms on the sideline trying to get them to push up. So it's just one of those things that you have to wonder if it's a mental thing, if it's a they're going around their coach, like who knows. But it's it's weird and how this Utah team plays is weird because when they're good and trying, they're incredibly dangerous and incredibly scary to to watch. Like, because they have so much talent, but then you get moments like that where they just stop and they don't play for 70 minutes of the game and then they lose two to two to one to the North Carolina Courage. It's it's really concerning how quickly and how often we can go from being really exciting and really hopeful to just flat. Because it's okay to be flat every now and again, but like we are continually flat game after game after game where either we're just um, losing the ball or we're just passing it around with no purpose or wasting opportunities. It's like the players just don't see a clock like they're playing like at half speed. Like they're, they don't realize how much time is left. It's like, you know, when basketball players will like call a timeout and there aren't any left or whatever. And you're like, what are you doing? It's like, they're forgetting like what's going on. And I don't know if it's too much training, if it's not enough training, if it's, you know, the players just aren't meshing. I don't know. I don't know if they're just tired. Like, is, you know, Kelly O'Hara too tired to be able to convey to her teammates what she wants? I don't know, because she's jumping up and down, waving both of her hands, because nobody is marking her, and nobody's, like, looking up to give her the ball. Or you have, you know, Kristen Press, who was open a couple times making runs, and the ball went the other way. It's just, like, I don't understand what they're doing, and I don't understand... It seems like Laura Harvey's giving the right answers when people... When, in post-game press conferences when she's asked like it seems like Harvey understands what is wrong and the players either are unwilling or unable to make the correction she's asking them to and that is incredibly a problem yeah yeah on a more positive side like that goal from Kristen Press wow wow that was a I mean 
It was a stunner. That's why you trade for Kristen Press. Like, that is why you want her on your team. She can score goals like yeah. that. Well, and she just created it out of nothing, too. Like, she... If if she had passed that ball, nobody would have complained. But she was like, nope, I'm going to just strike this and score real quick. And that's what's fun about watching Kristen Press right now is she she's just on one. She's scoring crazy goals every week. And if only the rest of our team could get on the same page as she's on right now. I feel like Vero Vero's assist was was the thing that was created out of nothing. But I'll, I'll give it to you this time, Megan. That's fair. Vero did... Vero- Pharaoh is so good. That's all there is to it. Like, her being back changed that game. I think we lose that game even worse if Pharaoh's not in there. I don't know where this team would be without Vero or Christian Press. I... Last. Yeah, I was going to say, down with Sky Blue. <laughs> I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. Because there's just no creativity. You know, it's like it's like macaroni and cheese without the cheese or like anything else. You know, it's just macaroni noodles. You know, talking about the creativity of Vero, though, that's something that a lot of listeners pointed out, specifically um, with this game and the Portland game. Nathan Kruger said, notice just how much better the team got when Vero came on night and day versus the first disconnected 70 plus minutes. The passing, the lack of coordinated defense, passing was awful. Um, we were super easy to play through. And then when she came on against Portland, that completely changed. And then it was, you know, you felt like there was at least there was potential for a fire to be lit with her on throughout the entire Carolina game. I think having O'Hara and having press in that game, the game against Portland, mm-hmm. was helpful because you ha- like when it was when it's just Amy Rodriguez as sort of like the dangerous player on the field in terms of forwards mm-hmm. like you just double team Rodriguez and you're okay or like you're less vulnerable but when you have Rodriguez and you have O'Hara and you have Press and you have you know Lola Bonto will take a shot from range every once in a while and you have you know Vero like there are just too many players you have to sort of give them a little more breathing room like because if you double team one that's leaving another open so I think having players back gave them a little bit of breathing room and Portland gave them that room I think North Carolina smothered them a lot better it excluding obviously the Kristen Press goal um, North Carolina just had more answers for, for how to shut down the attack. And I think Utah made it easier for them to find those answers against North Carolina than they did against Portland. Shall we go in to some of the listeners' thoughts about the last two games? Absolutely not. Let's do it. <laughs> um, oh, um, one more thing we should mention is so after this game, there's an international break. So um, we're going to go back to flat and no fun for the game on August 3rd against Chicago in Chicago. We at least get to talk about like Alex Morgan and Kristen Press who were there for the 99 final get to play in that stadium. Like that's pretty cool. Like we can have a moment to think about how cool that is. So Sam Martin, why the hell does Press take the free kicks and corners? Um, Because she has a good leg. Yeah, I don't know who else you have take them if not Kristen. Also, Kristen Press doesn't use her head. Like, she does not head things. She does not head balls. 
she headed one ball and it happened to be her goal against England. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sam, I'm curious as to who you would prefer to see take the free kicks and why specifically um, you think it'd be advantageous for pressing the box other than just she's, you know, has got a killer rebound game. Um, although that does sort of beg the question is that this team since last year has not really, I've never really felt like, yay, a corner kick or like, yay, a free kick. They're not dangerous with them usually. Yeah. Trade for Julie Ertz. I have been saying that since um, two years ago. So I would get behind that. That would be one way to solve the midfield problem. It really would be. Uh, take out a bunch of players. And I guess we don't really have any picks because of the uh, Kristen Press trade. Um, <laughs> uh, man. All right. So next question. Angela Correa Green. Can you talk about this and hope that the powers that be enlist and address it so that something like this doesn't happen again? Um, and so this is in reference to so Jessica McDonald, who plays for the Courage and uh, part of the U.S. women's national team, tweeted about an incident where a security guard at Rio Tinto threatened to call the police on her seven-year-old son for wanting to come down and see me after the game. Uh, one, I don't think you call police on children ever. I mean, unless they're like have a gun or threatening someone like it. This, this is just outrageous to me. There have been plenty of problems with security at Rio Tinto. This is not a new issue. Why is someone threatening to call the police on anyone? And uh, more importantly, why would he threaten to call the police on a seven-year-old black kid in 2019? Well, and also, there's no reason that the police are your first instinct to call in that moment. There are higher-ups. I'm in Rio Tinto that you talked to. Take the kid to fan relations. I saw somebody suggest that. Like, the police, for especially a kid, like, I understand with, like, some drunk adult or whatever, but for a seven-year-old kid... The police don't need to be involved in that situation. A kid trying to get on the field is not something you need to get the police involved in ever. Like, from just a perspective of, like, the Royals, wouldn't you know that Jess McDonald, like, Jess McDonald pretty famously has a son. Like, and I'm sure North Carolina, like, or at least I shouldn't say I'm sure. I would hope North Carolina, you know, made sure he had a press badge or made sure he had a uh field badge rather so he could go down after the game because like most of the kids like christy pierce used to have her kids on the field after games all the time well and like, amy does the same thing when amy's here like with her sons amy's kids are always on the field right you would think that maybe just have the kids sit together like all of the players kids like just have them in like a box or something together like it seems so weird to me that utah would just like if he was sitting with a relative and like just the general stadium, okay. But like you should have somebody come down as soon as the game is over, right before the game ends and like escort him down to the field or escort him to be with the team or whatever. Um, like it just, it feels like sort of North Carolina dropped the ball. Cause you would think that somebody with the team would be like monitoring this of like, Oh yeah. Jess McDonald has her son. He goes onto the field after the games. Like, well, you know, here's his, his pass. 
like you would think they would have it set up because it's not like she just had the kid like he's seven he's been with her for most of her professional career and on Utah's side you'd think okay we know she has a kid he has the proper credentials like I'm sure they don't just hand them out like candy like it just it there need to be repercussions like period like someone needs to lose their job over this like you do not call the police on a kid trying to see their mom even if you didn't know that like to threaten to call the police on a seven-year-old child that's outrageous that's absolutely ridiculous there is no need for that whether you're at a soccer game in a stadium or not because like he's at a soccer game too like it's not like it's we're in the middle of downtown salt lake and a kid's causing a ruckus he's trying to get on the field to see his mom after she won a big game like there's no need for this ever right um before we move on to the next thing so i want to close with a quote from uh a friend of mine trevor brady if a kid runs on the field, you stop them and ask them where their parents are before we even touch any other issue of the situation. It's a seven-year-old kid, not a masked man with a gun. If you aren't equipped to handle a seven-year-old without backup and have to result to the police, you should absolutely not be in a job which involves crowd control. All right, on to the next question or next comment. So Melly, um, in Spanish translated, Utah generously awarded North Carolina three points. One of the things that worries me most about this team is that they win and they automatically run out of gasoline and start making children's mistakes. Hitting the nail on the head. They just stop after one goal. Uh, They have to work a lot from the mental aspect because it is not normal that they are always making the same mistakes over and over again. There is a fear when going to attack. There are still games left, but I don't know if I give them to enter the playoffs playing like this. I don't think Utah's a playoff team. They have to win every home game. They have to draw uh, every other game. I think they can lose two games and still get on, get in on what is historically the points for the fourth team in a 24-game schedule. So they have to basically win or draw every game for the rest of the year and have a little bit of luck um, at the teams above them. They're playing mostly teams uh, that are above them in the table, which helps, but it's, it's a tough road. Like they have made this so much harder on themselves. The loss to sky blue um, really was a, an indicator that this might be a a big problem just in terms of points. Um, Not beating sky blue is, is a big problem in terms of points. Yeah, you know, not getting points from the teams that you should get points from. Like, should have gotten points out of that that Houston game as well. Um, would have liked for a draw against Seattle, but Seattle is definitely... I, I know they're getting crushed by the Red Stars right now, but I, you know, I, they've made some improvements to their roster. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how we, we play it out. And it's really interesting, too, that we're talking about the playoffs... And we just hit the halfway point of the season, you know, but that's the way the NWSL works. That's how it works with a small schedule like that. Right. So you get, you know, 16 teams in, like you get four with the NWSL. So you have to be really on top of your game for most of the season. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like in MLS at this point, it's harder to not make the playoffs than it is to make them. And the NWSL, it's just not the case. It's so cutthroat in this league. It really is. It really is. 
Um, all right. So some thoughts from Merle. Uh, it seems like this team is lucky to get one goal. And if they score first, then they just slow down the attack to push for a second. Also would add that they have recently been creating some chances, but just can't seem to finish. What is the problem here? Cause I'm well, sorry, not what is the problem? We know what the problem is. It's that we stop after one goal. How do we fix it? Is it a mental thing? Is it a tactical thing? Is it, I wish I could, could put my finger on it. I, yeah, I don't know. I think at this point they need to play O'Hara in the offense. Like I really think they need to have O'Hara up higher and sort of be like, look guys, Kelly O'Hara is going to tell you what to do. Just do it because it feels like nobody is taking responsibility for leading the team. Like press is like pre- a forward is not the person mm-hmm. to do this, right? Like Amy Rodriguez and Kristen Press and Stangle or whoever else is up there. Like that's not their job. Like they need the ball. Somebody else is going to run the attack. They're just going to be there hopefully to tap it in when it it comes to them. So it needs to be Vera or it needs to be O'Hara or it needs to be somebody else capable of running an attack. And Vera seems to be pushed up higher than how you're going to run an attack. I'd actually kind of like to see what Kelly O'Hara does as an attacking midfielder. I don't think we'll ever see that, but I can hope and dream and wish. Um, Or even a wing. Like, she can run it from the wings. You just have to let her. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's Laura Harvey deferring to O'Hara's national team and just sort of being like, well, this is where you play for the national team, but then why wouldn't you play her on the right? I don't know. I'm very confused about Harvey's using O'Hara right now is, is I think, my main point. Kelly O'Hara can do anything you need her to at this point. And I, like, maybe not permanently, but give her two or three games and see if it gets better. And if it does, keep her there. And if not, then look to make a trade because something needs to change there. Um, Sabrina says, why change press to the right when she was clearly working really well on the left? Why are the players keep ignoring O'Hara unmarked? Um, why having O'Hara play offense without someone to cover her position on the defense? Uh, I, th- I feel like we talked about this one. Yeah, we don't. Well, that's above our pay grade. Why indeed? Yeah, I don't know. Those are questions for Laura Harvey. Yeah, and I, I don't think you replace Laura Harvey, but I do think something, you know, and a part, whether it's part of you know, the bigger team culture or the bigger team tactics or roster, like something needs to change. Something needs to be diagnosed and addressed. FC Casey, the team that Utah basically took over, I think it technically went to the league first and then the player contracts were moved. So it wasn't a relocation. It was technically, I think, a new franchise. That was not a playoff team. That was a team hanging about where they are now. And I think that is why that is why I would give Harvey one more year. Um, I started to write a piece, which was basically if Laura Harvey doesn't make the playoffs this year, she should be fired. And then the more I wrote it, the, the more I sort of realized how much this roster was a three-year project. And I still believe it is. I think this roster really was designed to be a three-year project because you take a base that wasn't making the playoffs you add in the first year some players that didn't necessarily work out gory i think 
Harvey was higher on Gory than I think Gory turned out to be. Um, Diana Matheson gets hurt this offseason. Um, you know, I think there were some good ideas there, but I think fine tuning needed to happen. I think adding Kristen Press is a huge upside, right? Like, but then you have Brittany Radcliffe get hurt, and then you have Taylor Lytle get hurt, and then you have the uh, World Cup in the middle of that and having to play games through the World Cup. Um, next year, there's the Olympics. They usually take more of the Olympics off because it's a lot more compressed of a timetable. Um, so I think I'm willing to give Laura Harvey three years and it's not my money, so I'm not signing the paychecks. But I do think, I think Laura Harvey needs to have a come to Jesus moment this off season. I think she needs to really figure out what the deficiencies of this team are. And I think she should get one more year to try to change that. And after that, then I think if she can't make the playoffs, then I think it's, it's time to go. But I I do think this was a three-year roster and I think they're a lot closer now than they were last year, regardless of where the standings are. I 100% agree with that. Same about next one. So John says, I enjoyed watching the first 30 minutes last night. Then it seemed like the altitude got the home team and they ran out of gas. So just sort of continuing to see these, these similar trends of why can't this team play a full 90 minutes? Um, some other comments Sean has, why don't we pass the ball across the pitch, make the other teams chase and wear them down. Instead, it seems the other teams do that to us. I know the Royals work hard and want to win, but tactically we don't execute. Kelly was literally wide open and we are forcing the ball into traffic and turning it over. We should be passing outside and opening up the, that middle to give the team a better scoring opportunity. Um, For the majority of the match, we seemed to only react. And uh, when they attacked, it was slow and sloppy. I still love this team and always will, will but a four-game no-win streak is frustrating. I'm sure it is to the Royals as well. Oh, correction, five game. It is fr- like it is frustrating. Yeah, I feel like John just hit all our frustrations on the head, and like, yeah, he's right. If everything he said, we can't we can't seem to be competitive for ninety minutes, and from a ninety minute sport, that's not a good way to sit at. <laughs> so, I yeah, everything he said is valid, and it's all good questions. But at the end of the day something needs to change whether that's a new signing or somebody gets benched or in a year from now Laura Harvey leaves who knows but right now I think a lot of fans are getting frustrated and I think the club will hear that and maybe that'll inspire a change on this notion so what do we think the primary factor is behind the losing streak is it personnel is it tactical is it something else you want to take it RJ I don't think that the players and the coaches are on the same page. Mm-hmm. It seems like Laura Harvey, when you ask her questions in post game, when you see her talking about the game, like she's giving you answers and telling you what's wrong. It's not like Laura Harvey is giving answers and you're like, what game did she watch? Like she's very clearly breaking down the game that just happened, but it seems like whatever she and the other coaches are devising is not being properly communicated to the players or the players are incapable of taking that information and doing anything with it. I don't know. Like I watched the videos and I know they're edited to high 
heavens, but like you watch the video of Laura Harvey at training, like when they mic her up and it seems like the players and she have a good working relationship. Everything players have said about Laura Harvey is, you know, generally positive. Like I don't understand that lack of communication, but it seems like the players and Harvey just are not at all on the same page. And I think that's, the most frustrating thing because the players are slowing down when she's like jumping up and down on the sidelines telling them to press forward so i don't know what's going on there yeah i i agree with you i think it's just being on different pages i also think going back to what you said before is that it does have um you know tactics and personnel are, are an issue because the players aren't there to match the tactics that harvey wants like you said, Gunny is a perfect example of that. She's not just Fishlock. Jess Fishlock. And uh, frankly, should probably spend some time on the bench. Coming in with a hot take. I think Gunny is a good player, but I don't think she's who Laura Harvey is having her try to play as. I think if you have Gunny do the things that she's good at, she can be a very valuable piece, but you can't say be just Fishlock to a player. Like nobody is just Fishlock except for just Fishlock. Maybe McCall Zerboni could play just Fishlock in a movie, but the resemblance would be fleeting. I don't know finalities, gang. I don't know finalities. Um, so last question from Sherry. Can marketing find a way to keep momentum going and get fans out to games without constant comping? The team delivered an awesome game to a large crowd against Portland, and I really just want to see some of the casual fans to keep showing up, but I don't think um, comps are the answer to it. I don't know what she means by comps. Comps are free tickets. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you have to have people emotionally invest first to build a stable fan base. And you have some of that, but you know, for so many people that come to these games, there aren't a whole ton of diehards. It is kind of a revolving door in, you know, I think part of that is marketing. I think the team markets a lot better than other teams do, such as like the Washington spirit, you know, you see, World Cup players on billboards or posters everywhere. Um, I think there's also not a lot of crossover between. Um, I know with you know with the Monarchs and the Royals, there are there's not a whole ton of crossover with um, Real Salt Lake fans and Royals fans. In fact, um, some Real Salt Lake fans are just garbage. Um, if you read some of the Facebook comments, but. I think it just needs to be talked about more and just invite people out to games. I I don't, you know, obviously marketing can invest so much money, but I think there also needs to be some sort of attachment. So invite your neighbors out to games, talk to people about it. You know, tickets are pretty cheap. I was going to say, yeah, that's like word of mouth is what I've noticed. Like when I was in Portland, everybody knows the thorns because they've heard about it from so-and-so. And like even me this year, one of my best friends, is a huge soccer fan, but he'd never even known the NWSL existed. I took him to a few games. He's gone to every game with me this season. He went to the game that I missed by himself because he was mad that I wasn't able to go, but he still went anyways. Like you just got to, 
take the people in your life and force them into it and force that connection. Well, not force, obviously. That's aggressive. But spark an interest in people that you know, like maybe they're just casual soccer fans. Get them invested. Explain to them the beauties of this league, even though it's very frustrating a lot of the time. And get them invested because I think, yes, marketing can do a lot, but somebody's going to be more interested if they hear one of their friends is having a great time at these games every week and more people are going to want to show up if that happens. I think that's great, Megan. I think also to build that attachment too is have them following people who talk about it as well. Like I know, for example, if it weren't for being surrounded by RSL Soapbox, I probably never would have, you know, grown to love RSL as much as I did. And then ultimately start a, a podcast about the Royals. Cause you know, at, at the end of the day, this podcast is both media, but also we, we do it cause we want to see the game grow. And so get people attached to other diehards and let that passion just sort of, you know, bubble up and, and see where it goes as you invite people out to games. Yeah, exactly. That's, I think the best thing you can do is invite people out and be like, it's five bucks for a ticket. Come have a good time, you know, get out in the sun a little bit, see some of the best, if not the best soccer you're, you can see in the state of Utah and in the, in the world every, every day back over there in Sandy, you know, just take, take the locals out and invest them. Not too much sun though. Right, Megan? Yeah. Get on the um, west side of the stadium, not the east or you'll hate yourself, but. So I have a slightly different take and I'm out of state. So take this with a grain of salt um i think they're fine like if if say the true number of people who actually go to royals games is say ten thousand, that's what the best the second best in the league like i think because the the games that they get a ton of people there the ones that they get 16 17 000 there for are so cool that people expect the ones that'll only go to one game a year to come to every game I don't think that's realistic. This is the second year and they're getting 10,000 people to sign up for season tickets or come to games. Like that's really good. And do I think it should grow? Yes, but it is only the second year. So I think having some amount of reasonable expectations and some amount of allowing the team to become a part of people's lives, that's not going to happen in a year or two. That's going to take three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years to get there. So for me personally, and I'm out of state, so I'm sort of going on more of a league-wide perspective than a Utah's perspective, I think they're doing really well. I think comps are always a little bit um, worrisome just because if they stop, you know, they're going to be 3,000 people there. I don't think so, but you never truly know. But I do think they're doing a lot better than some Utah fans probably think because they're seeing those seven thousand or seventeen thousand and being like, Why is it dropping? And I'm seeing ten thousand on a bad week and being like, This is pretty good. Yeah. That's a great point to really keep in mind, you know, the 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 league as a whole. You know, Washington Spirit and Sky Blue just had five thousand come out and that's those are record highs for them. And it's it's expected to see as sad as it is attendance tank in the second year just because it's it's no longer as fresh. I think they'll be okay. I think yeah, they do keep having to try at it and they do keep having to to work at it. Um, I don't want to pretend that it's all gravy from here, but I do think they're doing a lot better than most other clubs. Portland is always going to be an outlier. Like 
would I love, you know, 10 or 12 or 14 Portlands in the world or in the U.S.? Yes. But Portland is Portland. Everybody else just has to be who they are and just keep working at it. I know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Do you have any other closing thoughts? Not for questions. I have some thoughts on Chicago. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. We should probably talk about that. I forgot that there was a game. We have more games. The season is not over. Yeah, this isn't the end of the podcast. Don't fret. Cutting this podcast is going to make me drink the rest of my bourbon supply. I'm sorry. It's all your fault, particularly, Virjo. Not Megan's at all. I know. It's kind of my fault. I'm. Uh, so we play Chicago next week. I think we're going to lose. So Seattle beat um, or lost 4-0 to the Red Stars, who we face next week. Um, that's going to be a tough game. Yes, Joe, you're accurate on that. But I th- hope that we can do something and look better than we have the last couple weeks. Sometimes Utah has the problem of playing down to some opponents. Like they, they sometimes just play badly, but sometimes they play down. and But sometimes they also play up. Like they got two points off of Portland where they could have very easily gotten no points or one point off of Portland. So I feel like if the team is motivated, the national team players will be away. So they have the ability to sort of get back to that unit. Maybe they play better. And that's also a big question of if Utah plays better without press, Sauerbrunn and O'Hara, that is almost as concerning as just about anything else we could say. Well, and two, though, that is going to weaken Chicago a little bit, losing, like, Juilliards and the rest of, like, their U.S. They have more U.S. internationals. Who else am I blanking? Uh, Alyssa Nair, Tierna Davidson, Julie Ertz, Mo Bryan. I think that's it. Oh, I always forget that Mo plays in Chicago now. I was so used to her being in Houston. Yeah, so you'll lose all – they're losing just as many people as we are, so they're going to be playing with the quote-unquote – lower quality even though that doesn't sound right to say roster losing their internationals so they're still a good team but potentially Utah can rise to the occasion and get points which they need badly they're losing their goalkeeper Utah isn't yeah yeah which Nicole Barnhart is still one of the greatest goalkeepers this league will ever and has ever seen so you know in, in regardless even without um without the you know u.s women's national team players being gone i i, I still almost feel like gabby vincent should play no matter what because corsi has just not been herself since the end of the world cup and really even before it but i don't know it will be it'll be interesting to see what happens i would like uh nicole barnhart to be a field player again because she did that for her first women's national team camp or cap so why not? Let's just have Barnhart go out there and be a center back. Honestly, why not? Guys, we've gone for an hour and 22 minutes uh, pre-editing. Thanks for listening to the Utah Royals FC show. Mm-hmm.